Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Even if you just took the word lazy, what I define as lazy and what you define as lazy is actually just putting on your view of the world, isn't it? Because somebody who's lazy, they may not a, consider themselves lazy and maybe they just don't want to do anything and their, their definition of success is not doing anything. So they're not actually being lazy. They're just doing what they want to do. Yeah, see if he's got any suggestions for how you might develop a personality. <laughs> Do your responses line up if we have you take this thing multiple times over a period of time? And there's just, there tends to be not high levels of intra-subject reliability. So if I ask you to take it today, and then I ask you to take it tomorrow, and I ask you to take it in two weeks, there's a, a reasonable chance that we're going to get very different outputs on that scale. So, Colin, I uh, read an interesting book recently. It's not a new book. It came out uh, a few years ago. It's called Quiet by Susan Cain. The subtitle is The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. I bet you love that one, mate. I did. I did. I like this book a lot. <laughs> Uh, I, I am an uh, unashamed, unabashed introvert, and so it was it was interesting to hear that perspective because the part of the point that she makes, and 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 I agree with, is that the world seems to value extroverts a lot, and she makes the case that uh, not that extroverts are bad by any means, but that there's also a lot of kind of strengths of introverted personalities, um, and she has yeah. those as well. I know we're going to talk about this bit further, but I did a load of stuff on Myers-Briggs when I was in corporate life. And one of the things that was interesting was the whole area of introversion versus extroversion. How actually a lot of people who are in acting are more introverted than extroverted, which I always found to be sort of strange. It's surprising. Yeah. So I, I think that one interesting point is that people misunderstand what introversion and extroversion mean. People think that introverts are shy and uh, and timid and socially awkward, and all of those things can be true. They're probably more likely in introverts than extroverts. But yeah, no, uh, I was surprised. So when I was in, in college, I, I did some uh, stand-up comedy, and so I would be interacting with these professional stand-up comedians on a weekly basis as they would kind of come through town, and I would I would open for them. It's surprising how many of them were very clearly introverted and needed kind of that that quiet space to recharge and were not these gregarious echoing. A lot of teachers are introverted. Right? So it's not it's not that you're afraid of people or, or that you can't perform. It's just that you you require quiet, introspective time to recharge. Whereas extroverts find being in the presence of other people energizing. Introverts find it a little exhausting. Uh, the way I was always taught, and I'm sure you're going to correct me, is effectively it's where do you get your power from? Uh, I'm not going to correct you. That is, in fact, exactly right. Yeah. Keep, right. keep well, finishing that. Yeah. yeah. So it, where do you get your power from? Do you get your power from other people? Do you get, and the word you just used was good, energized by other people? Or do you get your power from being more 
introspective and and those areas. So yeah, let's broaden this out. So it's a great book. I highly recommend it, especially if you consider yourself introverted. I think it was a very empowering read for me. She goes through and, and talks about we think about leaders and people who change the world as being extroverts, and there are lots of extroverts who have done that. Uh, but there are also some very very powerful historical figures who were very clearly introverts and kind of relied on those strengths. So recommend the book, but this isn't an episode about that book specifically. It just started me thinking on a topic that we haven't talked about very much on the podcast previously. Let's talk about personality. Specifically, I want to critique your personality, Colin. And, uh, how you can do no, 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 no. That's a different. I'm glad to, that you even think I have one, mate. Well, that was number one on my list. Um, is <laughs> you need one? Um, uh, no. So the personality is a really interesting bit of research. So psychologists historically fall into two large camps. There are the personality psychologists, and then there are the the situational psychologists. So. Personality psychologists study people based on kind of their enduring traits. So there are certain characteristics about you that make you different from other people. And we can group those together. The situationalists, in my opinion, they've kind of been on the ascendancy over the last 50 or 60 years, these these situational psychologists. Their ideas is, yeah, yeah, there's differences between us, but those are kind of less interesting and, and maybe less important than the way that we interact with our environment. So to give you an example, the whole field of behavioral economics is situationalist. So if we think about nudging, or we think about choice architecture, the idea is we can put people in certain situations, or we can nudge them with certain prompts, or we can frame things in a certain way. And it doesn't matter what your personality is, you're going to be more likely to move in a certain direction because of those situational cues. Does that make sense? Yeah. So isn't isn't a personality, to put it in a word that we use a lot, isn't it like a segment? It, it you could think about segmenting people by personality. Yeah. 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 I think I think that's an interesting way of of thinking about it. Right. So this when we think about segments, because you can you can also have situational segments, right? You can have occasion-based segments where I might want beer in certain situations and wine in other situations, but I'm still the same person. But yeah, most of the time when we talk about segments, we're talking about it as if one person belongs in one segment. So we're talking about kind of enduring preferences. And from that perspective, yes, I I think that's a a good way of putting it in terms that, that we in our audience might understand a little bit better. Sure. Okay, so despite the fact that this situational psychology stuff is really interesting and important and most of what we focused on in the podcast episodes, honestly. That doesn't mean that the personality stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't mean, like, there's no, there's nobody who studies human behavior who would say personality just does not matter at all. It's just not important. So I think there's a respect on both sides of this research divide that both of these are valid ways of understanding people. We just tend to have a kind of a, a preference or an inference or, or a an emphasis on one or the other. So I'm going to correct some of that imbalance today, and we're going to talk about personality. Sounds good. Excellent. So when the psychologists investigate personality, a lot of it was just kind of 
casting out a net and seeing what they were pulling in. And there was decades and decades of this. We're just going to like survey people and observe them and see how they interact with each other. And after decades and decades of this research, they kept coming back to these five big ideas that would seem to reemerge over and over and over again. And they came to be known as the big five personality dimensions. Another good marketing technique from academia. I think the situationalists, as we've talked about in previous episodes, are terrible at marketing. They don't label things well at all. I think the personality psychologists may actually be better at it. Like, I think they do a better idea, a better job marketing their idea. Because this is one of them. So the, the big five dim- uh, personality dimensions. The first one is conscientiousness. So this measures how thoughtful you are, how, how good you are at impulse control, how good you are at kind of goal-directed behaviors, whether you're, you're kind of able to check that and, and motivate yourself in that way. So people can be high on conscientiousness or low on conscientiousness. Uh, the second one is extroversion. So this falls on a bipolar scale, extroversion, introversion. We've talked about that one briefly already. There are some people who argue that the extroversion, introversion personality dimension is the dominant dimension, that this is kind of the most important dimension for understanding people. It influences the most of it. Agreeableness is a, another of these. So are you altruistic? Do people tend to trust you? Would people describe you as being kind or affectionate? So you have high agreeableness or low agreeableness. People can be kind of like prickly or standoffish. Neuroticism, which is not a happy dimension, but there it is. So you can be high or low in neuroticism. Uh, the last one is openness. This is kind of, uh, it includes imagination, creativity, how open you are to new ideas or kind of how locked in you are to doing things the way that you've, you've done them before, how potentially changeable you are. So those are the big five. Does that make sense? So effectively, they've looked at all the various different work on personality and they've grouped them into these big five areas. Yeah. And they, they didn't do it just kind of by squinting at survey answers. So the, there's a, I don't want to give the wrong impression here. Like this was a very rigorous process. So you collect data on all of these surveys in all these different ways, and then you run it through these statistical models. And these are the five things that keep coming out over and over again. Right. Okay. And so these five seem to explain a lot. So to be clear, some of the personality types are not as, let me be diplomatic here, as robust as this. You mean the, the popular personality scales? Yes. Yes. There, there used to be a, a magazine when I was a teenager, so a long time ago, called Jackie. It was targeted at young teenage girls. And it always used to have these sort of surveys you know, does your boyfriend love you? Or, you know, how can you tell if they're your best friend? And then they would ask these questions. And then then at the end of it, they would go, oh, well, you're so-and-so, you know. And everyone used to sit around and do the questionnaire and come out with it. Some of them, uh, uh, clearly, from what our previous conversations have been, are not as bad as that, but they're not statistically rigorous, I guess, is the point I'm making. Yes. So, let's let's talk through some of these so there's for example the the myers-briggs which is very popular i've done that many times yeah i mean i'm sure that most of our listeners have too it's it's become a very popular scale that a lot of businesses use and some of the the dimensions actually overlap so i know that introversion extroversion is one of the the myers-briggs dimensions which is one of the big five personality dimensions as well 
I'm not going to say that these are bad. So let, let me put that out front. I think that they can be useful. And I think especially as kind of self-diagnostic tools, so as a way of exploring something about ourselves and discovering something about ourselves, I think that they can be useful. I also want to like be real cautious. These are not, generally speaking, scientifically validated scales. Myers-Briggs was not developed by a team of psychologists. It has not been kind of rigorously tested. And in fact, when it has been tested, my understanding is it's been shown to not be very reliable so that they measure reliability in a number of different ways. One is, do your responses line up if we have you take this thing multiple times over a period of time? And there's just, there tends to be not high levels of intra-subject reliability. So if I ask you to take it today and then I ask you to take it tomorrow and I ask you to take it in two weeks, there's a, a reasonable chance that we're going to get very different outputs on that scale. And that means that it's not great for scientific purposes. Yeah. And just from a practical perspective, to put um, my cards on the table, I found it very useful to understand that there were just these different types, basically, or different areas to focus in on. So that's where it's most useful, is, is exactly that. I, I think that it helps us kind of think about ourselves maybe in a different way, emphasize or identify some things that might be strengths for us or areas that we can work on, and also might make us more empathetic by understanding, oh, there are different people out there who think differently than I do. Yeah, no, I, I remember going on a leadership course years ago, and we did the Myers-Briggs and in just this whole area about, as you've been talking about, introspection and it being introverted, extroverted, et cetera, et cetera. I hadn't really thought about it before. From an awareness perspective, it's good. The other thing I would say to support what you said is I have done it over the years and I've found that it does change. Yeah. Whilst undoubtedly individuals change as time goes on, there are clearly got to be some core things that, that don't. Yes. And, and that's exactly it, right? So I would assume, I haven't looked into this, but I would assume that the introversion extroversion aspect of the Myers-Briggs is probably going to be pretty stable because that lines up with one of these big five personality dimensions, which they have found to be pretty stable. So these big five, if you measure them over time, will usually remain pretty constant for most people most of the time. Whereas some of the other dimensions in, in Myers-Briggs, I, I assume, will tend to be a lot more slippery over time. Where it makes me nervous is when people... So, again, I'm not, I'm not opposed to these other personality quizzes, these, these personality scales. What makes me a little uncomfortable is when they're actually used for important decision-making. So I've heard of firms who will create permanent teams based on people's Myers-Briggs scores or will use it as a part of the process where they decide who to promote into management roles or whether or not to hire somebody. That I think is real dangerous because these scales are just are not something that we should have enough confidence in to kind of guide those kinds of decisions as a way of understanding people better, as a way of understanding ourselves better. I'm not categorically opposed to like silly online quizzes that tell you which Hogwarts house you belong to or which Disney princess you're most like. I think all of these now things we, can now be fun. Now we're getting into the important stuff, aren't we? Yeah. Now, now we're getting to the real, the real thing. I mean, that's you're you're such a Hufflepuff that um, <laughs> you would clearly say something like that. I do think obviously those are, are kind of much farther removed from any type of science at all. 
But I still think that they can like serve as tools for self-exploration and people can like think about themselves differently in those ways. So they can be fun, but again, they should definitely not be used for anything serious, for making real consequential decisions. Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. So Ryan, fascinating to understand what the five mean, mate. What, let, let's dive into what these five are in a bit more detail. If you're curious about these five dimensions and, and where you fit on these, there are all kinds of quizzes that you can take online. So if you just type in big five personality dimensions, you'll find quizzes that'll allow you to figure out where you are on each of these five and kind of figure out a little bit more about yourself in that way. When researchers have done this, you know, they created this structure. And then within each of these five, there are these substructures. They call them facets. You got traits, which is the highest level. There are five traits. And then there are facets, which are underneath them. Let's talk through each of these facets within each of these traits that might help us understand the traits a little bit more. So we can start with with conscientiousness. The personality facets that are underneath conscientiousness are competence, which relates to efficiency, order, which relates to organization, dutifulness, which relates to carelessness, how careful you are, achievement and striving, achievement striving, which is how thorough you are, Uh, self-discipline, which deals with laziness, and deliberation, which deals with impulsivity. Do those make sense? Kind of as as a basket of ideas, we can kind of see how they're related to each other and related to the overarching idea of conscientiousness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting that they, what was the one that you said about laziness? What was uh, Self-discipline. Self-discipline. Hmm. My immediate thought was, well, you could have self-discipline, but still be lazy. Oh, that's interesting. Can you give me an example of how you're thinking about that? Well, yeah, so there's, there's a guy that I used to go to school with who I consider to be cleverer than I am. Maybe this is a different aspect. But he he never applied himself. So for me, if you to, and now we're getting into a subject of success, what does success actually mean? But if success is determined by the amount of money you earn and how far you go up the a greasy pole and blah blah blah, then he was a clever guy, but he was actually lazy to be honest. With you. <laughs> and you actually need to be clever and actually hardworking, in my view to be successful. I agree with you. I mean, I think where I would, where we can maybe distinguish between these, I would assume that the the questions that determine self-discipline have very little to do with how clever you are and, and a lot to do with this point that you're making about how hard you work. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people who aren't terribly clever, who are very hardworking, who are very successful. Sure, sure. I think if we want to caveat this a little bit, I do think that there are certain ways that people are 
lazy or hardworking that kind of line up with preferences. So I'm sure we all know the person who can't hold down a job, but for their hobby, they're the hardest working person that you know, right? So I, I think that there are nuances around that. Yeah, this is why I find these conversations always fascinating. Because even if you just took the word lazy, what I define as lazy and what you define as lazy is actually just putting on your view of the world, isn't it? Because somebody who's lazy, they may not A, consider themselves lazy and maybe they just don't want to do anything and their, their definition of success is not doing anything. So they're not actually being lazy. They're just doing what they want to do. So even by using that very word, it's you end up going round and round in knots. And there's so much introspection that you get from doing this type of stuff, isn't there? Yeah, no, I mean, th- this is a a problem for any type of research that you do. Like, it is it is not a trivial problem to figure out how people will interpret words. Right? And for something like personality measurement, that problem gets even worse. Because as you say, like, is somebody who can't get themselves to study math lazy or are they just uninterested in in math and don't understand its importance but that same person might be very dedicated to teaching themselves to play the guitar because they care about that a lot and vice versa so i think the way that these personality psychologists try to get around that is by asking the same type of question multiple times in different ways and so like if i ask you about like how hard is it for you to force yourself to work on something you don't want to work on you know, how hard do you work on something that you love? How hard do you work on, you know, something over time? If I ask you a series of questions that kind of triangulate on this idea, then we can hopefully get to the core of the matter. That's not to dismiss this this point at all. I think it's a very valid point and, and a big concern. So you see, my mate would say that he works very hard at sitting on the settee and not doing anything. I mean, and that, that can be a lot of work. <laughs> I, uh, I joke that my wife is is terrible at relaxing because she always wants to be doing something. And so, yeah, for her to sit down on the couch and just watch a TV show, that's hard work. She's lazy about relaxing. She can't do it. We've talked about extroversion, introversion, and now we're talking about your wife. Let's talk about agreeableness. (laughs) <laughs> because she she needs some type of award to be living with you for so long, mate. Uh, oh, she def- definitely does. Yes, she's highly agreeable. All right. So the, <laughs> the facets for agreeableness are trust, which they also associate with being forgiving, which is an interesting link. Uh, straightforwardness, being not demanding altruism, which is associated with warmth. Compliance, which is associated with stubbornness. Modesty, or in other words, not being a show-off and tender-mindedness, which is being uh, related to sympathy. So those are the the facets associated with agreeableness. Uh, And I hope as I read through these these facets, they give me kind of a better idea and I can start to imagine or remember people in my life that that meet these criteria or that don't. So we could probably think of a a highly agreeable person that we know based on the, that list of facets that might not be as obvious just from the, the label agreeable. I know this is not scientific, but the other thing is to go, where do you think you are if you were on a, it's a scale of one to 10? And then ask somebody else where you think you were on a scale of one to 10. Now, that's not scientific and everything else, but interesting, isn't it? 
Well, it's not not scientific, though. Like <laughs> the idea that you have a self-image that may or may not line up with other people's image of you is also something that researchers are very interested in and can be very useful to us. I think that sometimes we have. So a lot of these personality scales are self-reported. So I think of myself as being very trusting and I think of myself as being very forgiving. But the people around me might have a very different uh, perspective on that. And so where someone's true personality is, is somewhere in between, in between all these inputs. It was one of the biggest bits of learning I had on a, on a leadership course I went on uh, a number of years ago, where we did this sort of Myers-Briggs, it was looking at the whole thing. And one of the biggest bits of learning I, I came out from that was what I did and said was being interpreted in different ways by my team. I was assuming that I was communicating correctly, but the messages were being picked up in, not in all cases, but in different ways and different things were being applied to them, basically. And that was one of the biggest bits of learning I had actually, was was realizing that my perception of myself wasn't the perception that everybody else has of me. Yeah, no, I think that's a key insight for understanding all of this. I don't think your non-scientific suggestion is a bad one. It's useful to think about this from your own perspective, but then it might not be bad to have somebody else who could answer honestly, fill this out on your behalf and see what what others might think of it. Let's uh, run through the last two of these quickly so that we can give people an idea. Uh, Neuroticism um, is is another one of these. And the, the facets there are... Anxiety, which is related to how tense you tend to be, what they call angry hostility, which relates to irritability, depression, how contented you are, self-consciousness, which is related to how shy you are, impulsiveness, which is related to moodiness, and then vulnerability, which is related to self-confidence. Right. Interesting. Uh, and then the last one um, is openness to experience, and this relates to, to how you, you think about ideas, so how curious you are fantasy, how imaginative you are, aesthetic, which is related to how artistic you are, how action-oriented, which is the breadth of your interests, how important feelings are to you, which is related to how excitable you are, and then the values that you hold. And they relate that to uh, conventionalness or unconventionalness. It's interesting that they put emotions in there, isn't it? In, In openness, basically. Let me give you a practical example. I always turn around to my wife. She says how do I do this on the, on a phone or whatever it may be? I said to her, I haven't been on an Apple training course on how to use my phone. Yeah. Right. What I've done is I've gone, well, what happens if I press that? What happens if I press that? What happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? Oh, look, I accidentally pressed that and it did that. Oh, blimey. I didn't know it could do that. The point I'm trying to make is it's that whole area around curiosity, which I, I think is interesting. And even by saying that, I'm probably being curious. Um, but it, it's there are definitely some people that are more curious about why things happen and learn from that experience and other people that aren't as curious. And this is not, again, a criticism at all, but they aren't as curious and therefore struggle to understand some of those things, particularly when it comes to a phone or whatever it may be.
as we wrap up, one of the questions that's useful to consider is, well, what do we do with this information? Again, I'm going to, I'm going to recommend that people not use this as a management tool in terms of like, in place of the Myers-Briggs, now we're going to have everybody take a big five personality quiz and you're all going to submit your answers to me. So I, as your manager, can better understand who you are. But that to me feels invasive. And I think that we can make some real bad decisions by relying on the answers to a survey like this to try to better manage people. None of us have the training, including me. We don't have the training to be able to use this in a kind of clinically sound way. What I would recommend though, that this can be a really valuable tool in the way that we've talked about the other tools. I think that, that this may be a more scientifically valid way for people to better understand themselves. Given the choice between taking a Myers-Briggs and taking a big five personality quiz, I would encourage people to take the big five. There's a lot more science behind it. And I think that it can be useful for the ways that we've talked about. My last two penneth words would be that I think these things are really good to understand yourself. And I think that understanding yourself is the really the first call of leadership. You need to understand what you are like to be able to understand the impact that you have on others. And if we then took that natural extension to understanding a customer experience. So you'll hear me say a lot, well, you know, this happened to me and that happened to me and it made me think and blah, 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 blah. And it's only because I I think I understand myself quite well that I can interpret those things. So I think that that becomes an important part of understanding a customer experience as well, to understand what's impacting you and moreover, why is it impacting you? Absolutely. I, I think it's useful in, for two reasons and or in two ways. And I think that's the first one is I think that it can help us better understand ourselves and understand our strengths and understand why certain things might be difficult for us. You know, it was very empowering to me when I was younger to hear the definition of introversion for the first time and go, oh, that's me. And that's empowering. And I understand myself better. And there's nothing wrong with me that I feel this way in these certain situations. So I think that that can be very, very useful. The other part of it is also what we've talked about before, which is the process of self-discovery using tools like this is that it opens our minds and makes us more empathetic towards others. Realizing that, oh, I'm very open to new experiences. Colin, as you described yourself, you know, being curious and, and, you know, being open to kind of emotional or feelings inputs. But simultaneously then realizing that, oh, not everybody is, and that other people might feel something different when in these situations. That would make us a better manager, and that would make us better at managing customer experiences and better at understanding other people. So I I think these tools are useful in those two regards. Uh, Again, caution against using this as a kind of hammer where we're going to like screen people based on their answers to this, or we're going to promote people based on their answers to this. I don't think that's appropriate or wise. But for these other two purposes, I think it's great. Good. Well, we we hope that's been of use. I'm going to go and talk to my mate about sitting on the settee and making him um, not be all lazy, but hard work sitting on the settee. I don't know if those two things go together. Yeah, see if he's got any suggestions for how you might develop a personality. (laughs) That would be too much like hard work for him, mate. It might be. That sounds like a lot of work, actually. All right. We look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. 
This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.